podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Hey, imagine if all your frustrations about advertising your business could be solved right now. You should know that podcast listeners are more engaged in higher converting than any other advertising medium. So try AdHub today and reap the rewards of Spreaker self-advertising platform. It makes it as effortless as ever to be heard by thousands, regardless of the listening app they use. Visit Spreaker.com forward slash AdHub. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com forward slash AdHub and start using your advertising dollars in an impactful way. Welcome to the second episode of the Walking Reds podcast in association with the, the LFC Day Trippers channel. We kicked off uh, last night and we're joining you again to talk over a few things that we want to go into a bit more detail on tonight that we, we uh, maybe left off last night's podcast. Joining me tonight to chat over these things are Dave Dunning again. How are you doing, Dave? Dave's in Belfast. Yeah, doing well. Thanks, Neil. How are you? Yeah, dead on, man. Good to be back again. So two in a row. So we're we're knocking them down now. That's that's uh, always good. And uh, first news of of the season for uh, Johnny Henderson uh, in Belfast as well. I think tonight. So how are you doing, Johnny? Yeah, East Belfast, East Belfast. Um, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Well, you, I think right. that we should almost do an East, East, East Belfast, Glen Torrance style for a day done on that. Did you have any riding on the pre-mark burning down? No. <laughs> No, no, I, I, I stared clear of that. I was able to watch the the flames from my vantage point high in work. Yeah, yeah I've seen some very bad jokes about it as well, like the total damage came to £27.50, so I'm not going to comment anymore on that. It was bound to go up, bound to go up more chemicals in the clothing than in a paint store, let's be honest. <laughs> did you see the uh, Did you see the two buskers uh, singing Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> you can't start a fire with a spark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with pre-mark and flames in the background. Good old Norman. Oh, Can't be. That's oh, that's oh dear. On a serious note, on a serious note, it's a bad blow to the town, and it's a lot and stuff. So that's absolutely a bit of a bad, a bit of a bad thing, really. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, if you don't laugh, you cry, I suppose, as as people say. So those dulcet tones we heard in the background chirping in there about Primark were uh, none other than uh, Dave Karen. Uh, you will have heard ho- hosting our previous show. So how are you doing tonight, Dave? Ah, uh, great to be talking to you again. It seems like a lifetime since I last talked to you. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to a better rant tonight. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know you've got a few things to get off your chest. So, I mean, just to go on. We'll, we'll go on something nice and nice and easy. Nothing too emotive, I wouldn't have thought. So it's uh, Liverpool's Champions League draw. So obviously that happened last week. A very, very drawn-out process, uh, if you'll excuse the pun. Almost would, would have put you to sleep if, if you weren't so intent on finding out what was going to happen. So we managed to draw uh, PSG, Napoli and Red Star Belgrade. I suppose there's been a bit of a mixed reaction to the draw. So yeah, I'll just start with, with Dave Dunning. What is your take on it? What were you hoping for and, and what do you make of what we've got? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest. Some people might think that I'm a sadist, but this was kind of the draw that I wanted last year. I'm not kind of in with being in the Champions League and playing Maribor and CSK Moscow and Yusuvia being your glamour tag. So, um, yeah, I'm completely into this. Don't think there's really anything to fear at all, to be honest. I just think there'd be two really good ties. The atmosphere will be great in the ground. Neymar's bound to get plenty of abuse. I don't know. I don't think Tuchel kind of doesn't really know his, he doesn't know how he's really wanting to play yet. He's tinkered with things the first few games. If you saw anything of his, his time at Dortmund, they were pretty porous at the back. So I don't think they're going to pose as much of a threat as their talent might suggest. 
Napoli's a strange one with, with Ancelotti going there. We know that obviously Sarri's left now. It's yet to be seen how that's really going to impact them. Jorginho's obviously a big miss for them as well. So they're still going to create attacking players. But at the same time, you know, they failed to qualify last year. They don't have a great track record in the tournament. So I wouldn't worry massively about them either. And to be honest, I don't really know anything about Red Star Belgrade. So you imagine they're going to be the whipping boys and it might come down to results against against those teams. So, you know, you need to try and take six points from those. But the main thing I took from it was that all of our champions game all by home games in the league which is great. And what's even better, I think, is that all United's league games following Champions League games in the league are away from home. So it's almost like a switch in the football gods from when United used to win everything and United used to always get their way and we always used to get shit on. And now it's just great to look across there and just have a little laugh about how things keep going wrong for them. So I'm having a great time so far. And the competition hasn't even started yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting draw. I mean, I, I totally go with with what you mean about uh, about the, the draw last year. It was more of a Europa League draw, wasn't it? But it was no glamour tie in the in the in the group stage at all. Sevilla, we'd uh, we'd just had uh, in the in the UEFA Cup final or the the Europa League final not long before, and it, it didn't really feel like we'd uh, we'd actually set foot in the Champions League properly, I suppose, until until we hit the knockout stage. I just want to come to uh, Johnny on this, uh, John. What, what do you think about the draw? What were you hoping for? Were you hoping for something a little little easier? I mean, there are definitely a couple of tough tough teams in there. Or, or are you also happy with this? Uh, I would have, I would have preferred an easier draw, but that was just the, I suppose the born sensible head on me because I, I was watching the draw and I know we were all sort of texting each other when the draw was going on and you could see it sort of funny. It's sort of like a convoluted draw now, isn't it? Because you start to find out as the draw starts to go through, you sort of find out, oh, well, we can't be in that group. We can't be in that group. So you're starting to sort of go, oh, can we be in that or that? And I think we'd all sort of said, oh, well, that, that group D looks looks nice or whatever. But at the end of the day, would have preferred an easier draw just because I look at Man City's draw and I think, you know, they'll cruise that and they'll probably get away with resting players and be qualified earlier than Liverpool will. Will that help them? Maybe. But then as somebody else uh, had pointed out to me, well, City had a pretty tough draw last year and maybe being that focused early on and the competition can also help your, your league form confidence if you get the right results so yeah I mean I it's, it's a very exciting draw and it's an exciting draw because there's two you know really good good sides in it and in, 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 in PSG and Napoli obviously PSG everyone knows about they've got loads of money they've got Neymar Cavani um, you know he was the you know the, the star of the World Cup probably so who can't be excited by seeing that team come down field that, that'll be a big challenge but I think Dave's right in what he's saying. You know, they, there's there's a lot of transition there. Tuchel's gone there. He's, you know, early signs are obviously they're still they're, they're still winning games in France, but um, I think they've been flicking between the three at the back, four at the back. They're not quite sure yet what their best what their best side is. Um, Ancelotti's gone to Napoli. They've you know they I think they started well first couple of games they came from behind and won them, but then they going over at Sampdoria. And that guy with the impossible name is a Quagliarella or something like that. Quagliarella. Oh, what a Quagliarella! What what a goal that was! But you know, so they're again with Ancelotti, they're finding their feet. They're finding their feet, so they are. So you know, it's it's potentially a a good time to play them as they've got your man Espina and goals now. And I've heard something ridiculous like apparently he's faced like seven shots so far in the league, and he's led in six goals. So they're they're having their goal, they're having their goalkeeping pro. Yeah, they're having their goalkeeping problems. And then Red Star, who'll make up the numbers. I, I didn't really see much of them. I, I, I know that they, they got in virtue of beating Red Bull Salzburg, but apparently they dominated in that game. They got through to each. I think they went through and away goals, but they were completely battered for possession and shots, but they managed to get through. So they'll be the team that everybody's looking to take the six, the six points off. But no, it's exciting. It's an exciting draw and... I am confident we'll get through. If we don't top the group, I'd certainly be confident we'll be good enough to, you know, if, if we don't top the group, I would imagine PSG will. And I, and I certainly think we've got enough to see off Napoli and their chairman seems to agree, as we were sort of joking about earlier as well, where the disasters draw for them. So that I don't think the top levels of Napoli are looking forward to playing Liverpool and, and rightly so. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, I think one thing that, that definitely shines through from, from what's been said since is that nobody wanted Liverpool in, in part three. Um, and the, the Napoli chairman, as you've just said there, illustrated that uh, and spelled it out. So, I mean, Dave, Red Star Belgrade, don't know a lot about them, but resilient from what, from what Johnny's just said. Uh, Red Bull Salzburg are, are a good side. Um, obviously they're, they're only Austrian, but, but they're a good side. They've gone deep in the Europa League now the last couple of seasons and they're, they're no mugs. And if they manage to, to hang on in there and get through, that can be interesting. But, uh, how do you, how do you view the, the draw in general? And are you happy enough with it? We, we, what were you hoping for? Were you hoping for something easier or are you happy to get the, the glamour ties? Uh, I'm in between. Uh, to be honest with you, as a top seed, I'm happy we've got PSG and I don't know why. They're a decent side, and their front three are front three. It'll be it'll be interesting. There's no two ways about it. But you know, as I said to you guys pre-pod, and said to you last night as well, guys. You know, like it, it feels like the knockouts are starting. You know, in the groups, all of a sudden, it, it, it's really at it. And I, I disagree with Dave actually because I wouldn't have taken this draw last year because I don't think we were ready for this draw last year. Where as I, I truly believe we are ready for it this year. Napoli away is going to be a tough trip, no matter how well or how uh, you know how badly they're playing. It's going to be a rough trip. Uh, if we get points out of that, we'll be going rightly. But the thing about it is, you know, and, and we, we talked about it again pre-pod, you know, it, it's going to suit our game. No matter where we go, Napoli can't sit and park a bus at home. PSG can't sit and park a bus at home. So we saw with Europe last year, when teams want to play against us, we see it in the Premier League, if teams come to go toe-to-toe with us, they generally come off on the wrong side of it. You know, PSG, as, as the guys have said there, Johnny picked up on it, they're not in a great place at the minute. And, you know, I was talking to someone who supports them um, yesterday, and they're, they're not happy. They're, they're an awful lot less happy than we are about this draw. Yeah, we want a Group B, then we want a Group D. But you know what? We're going to have to beat them eventually. You know, we're going to have to beat the best to get there. And it'll have us on our toes that little bit earlier, Neil. You know what I mean? It's, you know, there, there's no room for complacency in this campaign. It's like, as I said, the knockouts are starting in the group phases. Belgrade will be interesting because we don't know what they expect from them. You know, former winners of the tournament and so on. Um, you know, they've fallen uh, in stature quite a bit from there. But let's not forget, they, they, they have been European champions. Um, and, and I'm sure we'll give them the respect they, they warrant for that. I think as well the way that the games are playing out is really advantageous to us. Um, you know, that final game against Napoli at home, the first game at home against PSG... You know, get a, if we can get the win against PSG, I think it's the kickstart that we're going to need to, to, to basically steamroller that group. You know, if we get the win at home against PSG and, you know, get a draw, even worst case scenario, we've got a draw um, in the Sao Paulo. Happy days. Um, and then double header. You would imagine we, we, we take the six points um, away from Red Star Belgrade. Then, you know, you're looking at the white trip to PSG and a home then against Napoli. Like, honestly, could it worked out any better for us? Given the fact that it is a difficult draw, I think the way the permutations of, of the games are going to work um, is very much in our favour. And, you, you know, look, the guys are talking about City there and getting an easy draw and whatnot. Let's not forget City, you know, and, and let's bring in the Napoli's presence um, comments as well. This is what coefficient is. You know, City have, have, have been in the Champions League long enough now that they've risen to top seeds. And, you know, we haven't. Just surely we haven't, you know, you can talk about the time Rogers took us there, let's not talk about it, biggest disgrace in the club's history in my opinion, but <laughs> John, you know how it winds me up, I, I, I've seen many a thing, like I've been following this club for 40 years, that's the biggest atrocity I've ever saw, but you know, C- City got their draw on merit, and quite frankly, probably if they'd have got our draw, they'd have been looking at it the same way as we are, so you know, at the end of the day, it, it is what it is, and it would be worse if we were sitting here saying, oh shit, we're in trouble. We're not in trouble. We'll be grand. Well, let's hope we're not uh, feeling a... Uh, we don't have uh, Salah and all on the bench when we go to PSG in a dead rubber at the end of November, Dave, because no, that you, might tip we, you over we, the we edge ha- if that happens. We have a European <laughs> coach now who understands Europe, doesn't go out in knockout phases and, and you know, take it, put second strings out in the Bernabeu for an institution like our club. Seriously? A European institution at that. That's it. That's it. So I mean, we have we have Klopp now, and he he does fully understand what Liverpool is about as a club, as a force in Europe. I think you touched on something very interesting there with the well, very poignant, I suppose, with the with the with the way that the fixtures fall. I think it's it's always good to get the double header against what would be looked at as the weakest side in the group if you can bag those six points 
that's you're you're halfway there. And as you say, win the home games first and last against PSG and Napoli and. So yeah, the, the Tuchel point's interesting as well. Uh, I'm gonna to come to Dave Dunnan on this. So, you brought it up first and mentioned it. I mean, Tuchel, obviously Klopp's replacement at Dortmund, did alright there. Initially, some promising signs and then fell out of favour and was eventually sacked. Hasn't worked since, uh, and, and is really over at, at PSG. As you said, some, some tinkering going on there in the first few games. What do you make of it? That adds an, an, an extra element to, to the fixture. I, I just think it makes them a bit more unpredictable. I think getting them now, I think Dave's right. You know, getting PSG first, where they're, they're, they are very much in the transitional stage right now. They don't have much of an identity. Tuchel's gone there and, you know, you mentioned him at Dortmund and there were promising signs at the start because they played some really good football going forward, but they started to regress fairly quickly and it just didn't quite happen for him. Now, I admire him as a coach. I can see, I can see what he's trying to do. Yeah, he's obviously held in high regard with the, the jobs he, he does seem to land. Yeah, you know, he's, he, he's a, he's a young modern coach. You know, similar to the the boy at uh, is it Nagelsmann, isn't it? Is that right, Neil? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and we're seeing coaches now becoming younger and younger, and and lots of young coaches making decisions early on in their career that I'm going to be, I'm going to be a head coach, I'm going to be a manager, whatever terminology or whatever culture you're you're referring to, and rather than go down the road of player coach. Next step manager is the natural progression. You've got these guys who are studying the game from a really, really young age and really understanding the game. And I think what PSG have tried to, to do there is they've, they've tried to be really forward thinking, which, you know, they could have gone the Napoli road and, and hired someone who was tried and tested and has had success or, you know, the Manchester United road, but They've done something a bit different this time, so, you know, fair play to them. But I think if he's going to get it right, it's going to take him time. And you'll probably see something similar that you're, you're seeing at Arsenal now with Emery. Obviously not. Exactly. And that's what they tried with Emery as well. But, I, I, well, they, they didn't feel the football was attractive enough, so away they went. And, and Tuchel is, is known for attractive attractive football. But as I say... Emery's having a similar problem that I think he's going to have, albeit in a much easier league. So it's not going to be exposed as much then, which means, I don't know, is it going to take him longer to work out the kinks because everything maybe looks better than it is. And then you show up at Anfield and you realize, Jesus, we're nowhere near, near where we're supposed to be. And I think they're going to find it much harder to score against us than we're going to find it to score against them. So, but Dave, that's always going to be a problem for PSG, never knowing where they are. Because no, no, no offense to the French league, but it is you know of a lower, you know, it's it's very top heavy, if you know what I mean. It's a bit like Scotland in that regard, and and it would be very hard for a top team going into the Champions League, knowing where they stand, especially you know the first game of the Champions League. You know, you can you can be steamrolling in the league, and all of a sudden you you come to a place like Anfield and you get found out very quickly because you've just not been exposed at that level before well they, you know they have they have gone relatively deep into the champions league in recent years you know quarterfinals you know they're, they're pretty much guaranteed quarterfinals every year but i don't think the manager has had that experience at that level as, as much as the players have you know you've, you've got that is going to be a huge huge learning curve for him and as we know Klopp's a, a really good record in going deep into European competitions and cup competitions in general. So I genuinely, regardless of what you think, oh, Cavani, Mbappe, Neymar, it's difficult to see how anyone scores more against us than we do against them, simply because you're going to have to really gamble. You're going to have to really commit players forward to go and get goals against us the way things have been panning out since the turn of the, since the turn of the year. And if they do that, we'll rip teams to shreds. Yeah, exactly. So that's fine. I'll play that game all day long. You know, talking through it now, I actually expect us to probably batter them, you know, and lay down a real statement of intent in the first game. Lay down a marker, just beat them 4-1 or something at home and just go, there you go. 
Uh, yeah, and then De Laurentiis can sit over at Napoli going, I fucking told you so. That's a disgrace. How did this happen? How did you let this happen? So, Tweet yeah, furiously. yeah, I think this, I think this could, this could play out. This could play out really, really well. Yeah, well, that, that's a nice segue. So moving, moving on to, to Napoli then, John. Obviously, another new manager, their, their old manager, Sarri's come to Chelsea and has had a, a really good start there up with us at the, at the top of the league at the moment. Obviously, they've lost their, their playmaker in, in Jorginho. By all accounts, ran their, their show, uh, over the last couple of, couple of seasons. But they've brought in Ancelotti, proven pedigree, and all that. What would you say? Um, volatile start? Hatchy. Yeah. Up and down start. Uh, Serie A, they, they, they won the first game 3-2, I think, but after being 2-0 down, and I think they lost at the weekend, if I'm right. So what do you make of them? I will say this on PSG. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure I'm absolutely as confident. Uh, I'm as confident as Davis that we're going to swap them aside because they've still got Marquinhos, Thiago Silva, you know, Rabio. They've got a brilliant front three. Uh, I, I, I think that'll be it. I, I, I think the games against them will be tight. I would fancy us to edge them, but I hope you're right, Dave, because if we go out and batter that PSG team, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be over the moon with that. Napoli's an interesting one, Chief, because, you know, they're, they're very much in, they're, they're in transition. And I think in transition in two ways, obviously, Sarri, who was, who came in, uh, he sort of rose through the ranks in Italy from nowhere, didn't he? And he, and he, they played this really brilliant brand of football. They, they, they were spectacular to watch. And as you, as you said there, they're, they're main man. And, you know, we, we sometimes look at, the, you, you take these stats and numbers with a pinch of salt, but, you know, Jorginho was their absolute main man. No one in that team touched the ball more than he did last season. He was absolutely critical and, Obviously, sorry, that was a big part of him at Chelsea. You know, a big sort of early success for him was getting him to persuade him to to join um, Chelsea and join him at Chelsea instead of Man City because it looked like he was going there. So that leaves a big, big hole in the in their midfield. And and by all accounts, you know, Ancelotti has he, he's still in the he's tinkering about at the moment to try and find what his best combination is in midfield, and he's tried. Hamsik there. I think he tried Zelensky there in the weekend. They've, they've started, they've tended to start games quite slowly. The first couple of games they started slowly uh, and they managed to come back and win. So there was a bit of a, a, a an early bounce. But then obviously, as I said, you know, they had a real difficult game at, uh, at where they were beaten 3-0 and they were beaten really convincingly. So to me, it strikes me as we could have done a hell of a lot worse in terms of a second seed in our group. Because I know a lot of people's reaction was PSG Napoli, but if you really take a, a step back and look at the bigger picture, there's there's a lot of transition there. There's a lot going on and, and a lot of settling in. And whilst I think PSG will be will be tough, they, they've got real quality. I, I think you know right now at this point in time, Napoli will probably be you know they're in opposition that we fancy ourselves to, to get at. Um, and, and certainly we know that we'll be able to cause them problems and, and probably unlike other years as Dave's alluded to there, you know, our defense at the moment is a lot sturdier than it's been in a long time. And, you know, he is right there and when teams are going to have to probably try a lot harder to score goals against us. Whereas before we were always a team that you always felt that if we were under concerted pressure for 15, or even 10 minutes at times we'd concede and there's definitely not that feeling anymore. So all things considered, there should be good games against Napoli. I don't think they're a team set up to defend or be pragmatic, much like PSG. They'll go for it. Uh, and, and that should suit us, but it'll be an interesting, an interesting tie. That's, that's for sure. But, uh, I'd, fa- I'd fancy us to, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll certainly be looking at three, at least three, but probably four points, uh, from, from, from those games. We should be, we should be fine. Nice one. Yeah. I mean, I think it would go along with, with exactly what you said there about transition. There's a lot of transition, as you said, at both of those clubs. Napoli are interesting. Uh, obviously we'll, we've played them before, uh, in this competition and, uh, you know, Obviously, people have reservations about going there and whatever, but but generally, we, we've had the upper hand over them, and and you would expect and, and and hope that we could do it again. But what you say about transition is 
is a really good point there. I mean, um, neither neither side uh, has settled yet with with their new with their respective new managers, and um, getting them when we are is, is probably a good time. I guess we all expect Liverpool to qualify. So just what they've done, and you expect us to go through? Yeah, obviously. To win the group, or or do you think do you think we're gonna we're gonna have a, a real fight in our hands? I think to win the group, it'll probably go to the last game, just simply because there's and there's generally always a weapon boy. So it's between three teams essentially. It's two games each and six points each potentially to play for. So even if you lose one of those games, providing both teams get six points off Red Star, then you know you're going into the last two games and. There's only going to be maximum three points between the three of you. Um, so it will generally go down to the last game, but I think we'll probably put, her, put ourselves in a position where the last game will be we're either going to win the group or we're going to finish second. All right, fair enough. But you're, you're, you're confident we're going through. And Johnny, I guess you're confident we're going through as well? I'd be confident we'll go through. I think a lot comes down to that first game. I think... You know, that sets a tone really. I think if we get off to a flyer, if we get off to a good start there and put three points on the board against PSG, I'd, I'd really fancy us then to go on and, and, and win the group. So that'll be a, you know, that, that's a really important early game. But certainly if we don't win the group, I'd, ex- I'd still expect us to qualify in second. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. And, um, and, and Dave making it a, an even, an, an even four, I guess. Yeah. Uh, surprising. I'm being very positive here. I, I, I expect us to top the group, to be honest with you. I think as, as I alluded to there and what I said, uh, Neil, you know, I just think that the way that the, the, the draws come out and the, and the sequence of the matches are, are really advantageous to us. We're hitting PSG before they get really going, getting, if we can take the three points off them, as Dave says, today's down a marker. And I think from there on in, you know, they're playing catch up. Napoli won't fancy, you know, fancy playing. Nobody fancies playing against us. Why shouldn't we top the group? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that. I mean, I think there's, there's, there are no teams really for us to fear. Um, I would have taken Real Madrid in, in part one, to be honest. Like, uh, like there, there's another know. one for you, Neil. Like, how many, how many of the top seeds are going to play against a third pot team? With such a difficult tie as they're facing with us, none. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing of the whole draw. We were the team that nobody wanted in, in part three, and I think that that's as as we mentioned earlier, being highlighted. So, so anyway, we'll move on from there. We we all uh, we kick off uh, the Champions League in, in a couple of weeks now. The first game is against PSG at Anfield, as we've mentioned. So that's going to be some match, and we're all looking forward to that already. Now we're going to move on and touch uh, on a couple of, of recent things that have happened just in the last couple of days. Of course, we've heard the news that Milana has um, picked up another injury this time a away. Shock on, news, okay. Neil. Shock news. <laughs> yeah, no shock. Horror, shock. Horror. Uh, away on England duty. Another shock. Uh, Liverpool player gets injured on England duty. Shocker. Never happens. Uh, so a groin injury. I heard you. You tell me before we we kicked off. Uh, so, so enlighten me a bit on this. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, anything to say on it, Johnny? What are you? Any any take on this, or is it just something you've, you've sort of come to expect? I mean, I know he's been there, there but he's been on the bench, yada yada. But it's been a long time out. I wasn't convinced yeah. he was like that much of a role. What's your, what's your take on it? To be honest, I was he was in the England squad. I think he's had horrendous injuries, and I disagree with Pete, uh, Dunning. I know Dunning's a thing. Dave thinks he's he's a lovely footballer, as uh, as Dunning would say about him. For me, just with Lallana, he's he's you know I always think of Chris Kirkland going for the ironing board when I when I think about Adam Lallana. He's just one of these people that no matter what he does, he's just permanently crocked. I'm not in the camp either. Thinks uh, there's some lunatics out there that seem to think Adam Lallana, you know, should be forced and contending for a place in our. In our best 11. He's nowhere near that. He hasn't been in ages. I think Lallana and his whole time at Liverpool's maybe had, you know, maybe a, you could argue maximum, maybe a three month spell where he, where he looked decent in the midfield, where he was, he'd scored a few goals, but generally he's flattered to deceive. He is a good technical footballer. He, he can turn and turn and turn, uh, with a ball, a very silky turner of the ball, but he doesn't actually do doesn't help our style yeah, play, John, either. Nah, we, he doesn't. I mean, he's, he's technically he's a decent footballer, but he's nowhere near. You know, when, when you look at that Liverpool midfield at the moment, that, for example, if you look at the midfield that, that started at the weekend, you know, we'd all probably say Kidd is an absolute cert to come in there. 
for Milner or Henderson, and then you've got Fabinho to come in when you think yeah. that, you know, the likes of Oxlade Chamberlain is still the, is, you know, hanging around in the background trying to get fit again. He's levels above Lalana for me in terms of what he'd bring to the team. So I, I was just surprised. He's hardly played any Shikiri football. There. You've got Shakira as well. He could potentially play ahead of that in that midfield role. So, I was just really shocked because even in pre-season, he's looked really badly off the pace. I mean, I, I thought in pre-season he was absolutely miles off and I, I was expecting him to maybe look, you know, really sharp in comparison to the others that have maybe been playing in or, or whatever. Uh, but, you know, he, he just looked way off the pace. So I was surprised he was in England squad. No surprise he's got injured, but I think it just confirms, you know, that's, it's, it's just a setback that sort of confirms that he's not going to be, uh, a pivotal player at all in this one. He's, I mean, he, he's probably now looking at a spell on the sidelines again and another rehabilitation period, which seems to be constant with him. So yeah, it, it's a blow for him. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he, he'll, he'll be gutted. I think Liverpool have more of a gripe that they have another player injured on international. It's your way too, John. It's your way because it could be fucking disaster by the end of it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sturridge is the other one, isn't it? You just hear that he's if he's training anywhere other than Melwood, you just sort of fear the absolute worst, don't you, with Sturridge? And, and to be fair, we've given him shit in the past in this pod, but I'll tell you what, he, he's done, he's had a very good preseason. He scored there in the first game of the season as well. And, and it looks like he wants fit. to be there. Yeah, he's still so fit, and he, he's, he's not he's not part of England's setup at the moment. I don't think so. He should still be at Melwood, taking a wee break or whatever. Dave, uh, Dave Donnan, anything to, to add on Lalana? Any, any surprise or disappointment or? Oh, I'm, I'm disappointed. I, I, I do like him as a footballer. I do. I think. He's a lovely, he's a lovely footballer. He really is. A he's lovely a, a lovely, lovely footballer, Dave. He is, lovely. A, he is a lovely footballer. <laughs> he's got lovely hair as well, Dave. Lovely, he's lovely, lovely hair. Touch. Does he he's beard. Lovely touch. <laughs> yeah, alright, lads. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think I think he he gives us the ability to retain the ball high up the pitch, and I think we don't. Them. You're still going to defend them. <laughs> I, listen, I just don't think we have an awful lot of players it's in our squad that. like that. And you know, I think Saturday point here. You know, you don't have any of those three guys breaking beyond the lines, being able to retain the ball high up the pitch and bring people into play. And I think this is probably. This is this is probably it for him now. I think this is probably one injury too many at the easiest. Um, and, yep. and yeah, and I agree. You know, Dave, do you not feel yeah. that if if the ox hadn't got injured, he'd have been gone? Because I, I kind of think. Well, well I, d- I don't. I don't think he would have been gone. I think you know, as much as much as Klopp values ability in the pitch, he values personalities in the changing room, and he values role models for for players to look up to. You know, especially as we have such a young squad. Like on on average, we do have one of the youngest squads in the league. Van Dijk's one of the oldest players. In fact, in fact, I think Van Dijk, aside from Milner Henderson, player in the starting eleven, and he's twenty. So, the really you need context, and I suppose this kind of feeds into the Milner, the the Henderson captaincy thing as well where you kind of need to look beyond the pitch sometimes to see the value in a player especially nowadays when this, the game is such squad game as opposed to just you know even when I started watching football you know squads would be had 15 16 players maybe 17 if they were like a really really top side and now you're talking you've got to have at least like 22 23 players um, to be competing in the top half of the league. So I think it's a blow, particularly after the Oxley Chamberlain news and how long he was going to be out for. I think we could probably do with the body more than anything else, particularly with the quality of games that we have coming up. You know, the, the next run's really, really exciting, really exciting. But you'd like to have as many options as possible. And, and we've all been salivating over how much quality has been on the bench recently. For me, for me, it's a disappointment. It might, it might give an opportunity now to, to, to Curtis Jones to see some time on on the bench and, and maybe get some get some competitive first team minutes under under his belt. How how few and far between they may be. So you know, I can only hope that there's a positive comes out of this, and that's that's maybe an opportunity and a pathway for 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 a player like him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is. It's one of those, isn't it? With with Alana, um 
I, th- I think you're probably right. It is an injury too far, and it is one too many, and it's it's one of those that you've almost come to expect now. Uh, he's been since he signed for us. Really, he's never had a full season. Uh, he's never had a season without at least, I would say, twelve weeks out. So one of those, and, and maybe it does pave the way for somebody else at least to get into to, to first team, regular first team squad action, if not uh, first eleven action. So just uh, something else that's happened then in the last couple of days is Jordan Henderson signed a new contract. So uh, obviously we've, we've known Jordan for a long time now. He's been our captain a long time. And uh, yeah, he's had, it's fair to say he's had his ups and downs, both in terms of form and in terms of where he's been in, in fan opinion. So what, what do you make of this? What does it say? And uh, yeah, who wants to kick off? Start with Dave Caron on this. You've been quiet, really. Oh, it's Jordan Henderson. I have always an opinion. Don't worry. I'm my, the right person. My, my opinion on this one, I know, I know Henderson divides this. It's probably about one of the only divisive things going on in the fan base at the minute is Henderson. Um, I, Hendersons are divisive. We are divisive people. Well, well there, there, you, there you go. Speaking from experience, John. <laughs> But seriously, I, I think it's a case of protecting his value more than anything else. I don't see him as a, a, as a starter, um, especially when Fabinho gets gets to grips with with the Prem and whatnot. And you know he's being eased in. We, we discussed a little bit about that last night as well. And I think when he comes in, you know Henderson's opportunities are going to be a lot more limited. Yes, he's going to get games and so on. You know, yes, you know he's a decent player. I don't see what all the fuss about him at the World Cup was. I thought he was bang average, just like he's bang average for us. Played the weekend against Leicester, and I think it was part of the problem in our midfield. You know, I just see him as a sideways and backwards player. And Klopp obviously loves him. That's fine. I'm not going to argue with Klopp. But, you, you know, it's like we looked at Fakir in the summer. It's clear that while he loves him, he also appreciates that you know he's not fit every game and so on. I, I, I'm, I'm curious about it. I, I think he's been retained as a squad player. I would like to hope that I'm correct in saying that. That's my belief. It's what's getting me through it. You know, I, I don't. I never have. Uh, anybody who's listened to these pods from from the beginning will know I am not a fan of Jordan Henderson being a captain of anything. And, and I think at the moment we have so many leaders around that club that could take on that role. And you know, it's one thing being a club captain and so on. People will argue with me, but you know, he's the club captain. Maybe not the captain on the pitch, but he's the club captain. Well, you know, club captain. Would you put the tea lady on the on the pitch? Because it's the same thing. You know what I mean? It's it's. You know, I would rather see Milner, and, and I used to be offended at that, and I wouldn't be at the minute because I feel that he's really, really earned uh, any captaincy that he gets. Um, he's been magnificent for us. Well, again, we covered that in the, on the previous part. But Henderson, I just don't see it. And, and I know that Dave loves him, and I know John, you've time from. But I, I just don't see a player there. I just don't see a player of the stature. To match what's around him, if you know what I mean. We are so bloody good at the minute. We are buying at the very top of the market. It's, it's been our dream for years and we're doing that and we retain Jordan Henderson. <laughs> to me, it's just a question, Mark Neil. I hear you. I mean, obviously he's always, uh, he's always been a divisive figure in, in terms of fan opinion. And, and there's the he, injury uh, thing there too, Neil. You know, he has yeah. a problem with the heel and it's just like, there's just questions. Yeah, questions, and and we have improved around him. However, you know he did he, he did have a good World Cup, and Klopp obviously rates him. And as as we say, he is club captain. So just to, just to get the, the the juxtaposition, I guess on this, perhaps I don't know. Uh, Dave Dunham, what's your take on the new contract, and how do you see it? Is it, is it more for a, an overall beyond the pitch role? As well, or is it is it is it, is it more with the, with the first team? I don't necessarily think the contract in itself is relevant. He was always going to he was always going to sign a new contract. It's well known how highly club values him, and I think you know this comes back to this comes back to the dynamic of the squad and how important he is. And you know, Klopp's called him a general during the week, and you know the manager is often very very quick to play down good performances and positive reflections on certain players, etc. And you know, often what he'll do is he'll he'll take that question and he'll he'll revert it to talk about another player who maybe hasn't been 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 noticed so much on the day. And I just think he wouldn't use that term lightly. You know, Mane's comments about about when Kaida was coming to the club, uh, when he said that, you know, he said to Kaida this isn't a club, it's a family. And 
that's the time the club values massively. Um, and how much emphasis he puts on that as part of the process of achieving success, I think is really undervalued by people just watching the match and getting engrossed in, in the, the 90 minutes themselves in isolation. Um, and you maybe have to look behind a little bit more. With regards to, to the captaincy, I don't fucking know what he does. But by the sound of things, it's loads. It's loads and loads and loads of stuff. So if you maybe do have an opinion... But Dave, we like, have an ambassador already. His name's Kenny Douglas. Yeah. We don't need a second one. Yeah, all right, all right. But hold on, Dave. Somebody has to do it. Someone has to do it. That's the, that's the expectation. And there's certain things that, that managers have to do after games. And there's certain things that captains have to do after games and before games and off the pitch, etc., etc., etc. So if... I'm speaking to somebody who's in your camp, then I might say, well, would you not rather have him doing than Van Dyke having to fucking run around and do all that? And maybe Van Dyke can just concentrate on just being dead good at football and but being but the they, best centre exactly half of the world. What is he doing on the pitch? You know, he came back in for the Leicester game, right? And, and our, our midfield looks fucking like they never met each other, whereas the midfield has been pretty good in the games beforehand. And I don't know, maybe I'm being harsh on him, maybe it is ring rust to the World Cup, blah, blah, blah. But I just saw a definite change in our midfield the minute he's introduced and a difference in the way that we play the minute he's introduced. Honestly, I thought that the cameos that he's, that he's played in the first three games when he's come on, I think he's had a really positive influence. And that seems to have gone unnoticed after 90 minutes. To say that he is the... The key issue in the midfield on Saturday, I think, is harsh because Wijnaldum, as good as he's been the first three games, absolutely stank the place out. Milner, but he does that. That, that. That's that's what Genie does. He he, you know, he is prone to a stinker. Right. Okay. Well, be that as it be that as it may, and especially you know, away from home. Be that as yeah, it may, the midfield in general didn't function, did it? No, it didn't. It didn't. And Milner, because we played one game too many. The lack of a ball carrier there, as I mentioned before, that was significant in that case. But as a player, I think he has something to offer. But Dave, there's leaders all over that pitch, and you don't need the armband. You don't need the armband on the pitch to lead on the pitch. And I think Klopp, but you do to speak to the referee, and I find him completely watery whenever he tries to do that. I don't know. I see him. In, I see him in the referee's face all the time. Um, but but you know, I don't know what he's saying. I can't hear what he's saying. But the, you know, the point remains. The point remains that Klopp's actively been recruiting leaders. You know, you've you've countless previous captains and national captains. Does that and speak volumes to you? Why is he recruiting leaders? Because he didn't fucking have any. <laughs> He didn't have any leaders. He didn't. Well, Jordan Henderson, case in point. This is absolutely this is absolutely true, but it but it works because we were sitting here two years ago doing pods, and uh, I think we even did a pod called No Leaders. And you know, I used to kind of give off a little bit about that term, but now we're sitting here almost complaining, almost complaining somehow that we've got a load of leaders. I'm just so waiting. It's a, it's a massive turnaround. <laughs> It's a, it's a it's a massive turnaround anyway. So we'll leave we'll leave the Jordan Anderson debate there because I mean we've we'll let uh, Dunning and, and Dave Karen go on at it. Can yeah, I have my two cents? Jump in, you jump in, son. I just want my Kemp my Kemp Brockman moment. That's all I want. That's all I want. Um, no, listen, on it. the one thing I'll say is I think five years is too long. It'll be thirty three, and it's a big contract. And FSG do a lot of things really smart. I think that's a bit of a stupid move. He's, you know, and uh, 33 with his injury record, paying him a lot of money. Mm, not sure about that. As a, you know, as a, as a character around the club, it's pretty obvious. He's really, really popular. Klopp loves him. He splits the fan base massively. You know, he is, he's, he is literally Marmite at the minute. And if you go on Twitter and you talk about Jordan Henderson, you just see the two extremes and neither of the extremes are, are right. I think the truth's so. Them and, um, for right. me, <laughs> for me, right? for, yeah, for me, yeah, for me personally, the, the bottom line is he's not a six, you know, in that position. I think, I think the, the, the problem you have with the number six role, I, I, I think, you know, if a center forward's not playing well and missing chances and not getting into scoring positions, it's really dead obvious. If you're a center back, you're Dejan Lovren and you're struggling and you're out of position and you're making mistakes. It's that obvious. Same if you're a goalkeeper and you're flopping across. I think that number six position is a lot more nuanced and there seems to be 
I don't know, this might sound sort of snobbish in some ways, but there seems to be a bit of an ignorance around people. Some people just don't seem to see the limitations that he puts on a, on a Liverpool midfield. Yeah. I always think with Henderson, if we're on top of the team and we're going for it and we've got the momentum and they're, they're back in office and, and retreating, he looks really, really good. There's loads of games at Anfield where he, you know, he's loads of room and he pings the big diagonal balls out to the fullbacks and he does everything quickly, uh, under no pressure. And he looks, you know, he's, he's decent. You can play him in those sort of games. My own problem is in that position, you need to be a brave footballer, especially when the opposition get in your face, like, like Leicester done. And, and I would go as far to say that there were other games last season, like the Champions League final. Uh, being a massive example and Roma away in the semi-final when we got, got tanked 4-2 uh, in that game. And those types of games, when teams are in his face, he struggles, he hides, he doesn't show for the ball, he points a lot. I see him pointing the, the players and I'm thinking, you need to get into position to take this ball, be prepared to take it under pressure, have the technique to get out of that and then get the team moving with passes and that as a six, I think that's why we bought Fabinho. So, for all the things he brings to the party as a character, as a person, I don't see a long term future for him in the six. And I don't think it's a smart bit of business by Liverpool giving him a five year contract at, at that age. That's that's just what I think. You know, I think he's fine to have around the squad, but for me, it was a bit of a strange one giving him a five year date. Yeah, I mean, I, I I can go along with with a lot of what you said there. I mean, for me, Henderson, I I've always been in the middle, which is why it's it's, it's funny because he is divisive, and I've always thought that he's neither one nor the other. He's neither absolutely brilliant nor is he completely terrible. He is he's capable of of great games, like you mentioned, playing well and looking good, and he's he's capable of going into a shell and hiding and 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 not standing up. And when you play that six, I mean, that's that's probably the, the one thing you, you can never really afford to do. But it does happen. It has happened uh, from time to time, you know, more than one or two occasions. Obviously, he does do a lot behind the scenes. Obviously, you hear a lot about how, he, I mean, there's a lot of logistical things that we don't even think about. So helping new players settle in, organizing fucking welcome days and parties and this and that and the other and, and lots of meet meet and greets and, and contractual obligations and sponsorship things and, and so on and so forth. And yeah, I think Dave Dunning, you make a, a really good point on that as well. Why why would you want Virgil van Dijk bothering to do that? Why do, why do you want uh, even James Milner bothering to do that? Let them, you know, concentrate on, on the football. What you're talking about is an ambassador role. An ambassador rule. No, but, you're Dave, but, but Dave, you're forgetting as well. Remember that this is the man that has probably the greatest Bebo page and greatest Bebo profile picture I've seen in a long time. And, uh, if anyone and, uh, hasn't seen that, I implore you to go on Google and look at Jordan Henderson's Bebo page from back in the day. It is. I think he deserves to be captain for that. But, I mean, Bebo, Bebo was before Facebook, Dave. Bebo was where it was at way before back, Facebook. Way back in the day. Way and now Facebook's not where it's at anymore. I know it's like Snapchat now or something else. Technology moves on quickly. So, yeah, Jordan Anderson is he is one of them. But five years, Johnny make a good point. 33 years old by then. Bad injury record. I'm sure I'm sure it's a, it's, it's a lot of money. Uh, he'll be on. But one of them, it's kind of boxed off. And it doesn't mean necessarily that, you know, if the right offer were to come in at some point from somewhere that he wouldn't be sold, it, it's also tying down value and, and all those things. that we. So, yeah, we move on from that. And we don't have that much. So we've we've kind of kept our kept our running quite well on these couple of topics, but we did want to touch on the uh, on the throw-in coach uh, <laughs> news that uh, that Liverpool have employed a throw-in coach uh, has been created with um, with mockery, <laughs> downright mockery in 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 some quarters. Messrs. Uh, Keys and Gray uh, getting a, a cheap laugh is, is their forte. Let's be fair. Uh, on that, seems to me we were chatting before, and I think you're all of the of, of a similar mind. But we'll come and, and get your views just now. But it seems seems to me that um, you know you you play football with your feet uh, primarily, and there's plenty of training that goes on um, with the, with the drills involving your feet. You know, shooting practice, passing practice, uh, tackling, all, all all kinds of things that that you know footballers, as as Andy Gray says, should should just know how to do. 
Um, but you rarely play with your hands. So uh, what what would be wrong? What could be wrong with with practicing something that most footballers have probably never practiced or or rarely practiced? And if you can get an advantage from it, uh, why should this be be met with mockery? What's your take on this, Johnny? Start with you. Well. Uh- going to be as informative as uh, Dunning because apparently Dunning's read an article on this which is yeah, yeah. Uh, very, very very informative I, I did I did see a couple of interesting things this guy that we've got a he was basically making the point that you know throw throw-ins account for about which did surprise me I think he said something like there's about 12 minutes of a football match were spent on throw-ins and he made he made a point that the, the the Champions League final that was played at Wembley when Wayne Rooney scored an equaliser against Barcelona. I really enjoyed that equaliser because I was sitting watching that game knowing United were going to get absolute mullered and uh, seeing the false hope that went through the pub in Boncrano when I watched it, when Rooney scored, was it was because I knew they were going to be sitting on their ass for the rest of the game when Barcelona eventually got round to mauling them. But uh, he made the point about Abadal, Eric Abadal's throw and the build-up to that. <laughs> you know, he was talking about these fine margins. Andy Gray's like, you could imagine Andy Gray's the, the caveman out with his, the, with the jaw wide open as someone invents fire um, looking at them. You know, he's not the most evolved uh, football in mind. Uh, these days, I think anything to get an edge, and this is just Klopp. I mean, Klopp's looking at everything to get an edge. If we can make our players throw the ball further, if you can get players coached to throw the ball further and more accurate, there could be opportunities in a game of football that are going to arise where you're going to get a chance to take a quick long throw in uh, and maybe set up a really good attacking position. So I have no problem with it at all. I think it's it's a modern game. Every other aspect of football. The nutrition, you know, Liverpool have a nutritionist that goes around to the players' houses and shows them how to cook. So why not have someone to show them how to throw in the ball better? To me, it's just it's a modern game. I think it's you know any anything to get an edge is to be applauded. I have no problem Absolutely. with it at all. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's hardly witchcraft, is it? Uh, I mean, you've you've done some research on this, I believe. So what what have you got to enlighten us with? Well, I think first and foremost, it's just common sense, isn't it? Really. To try and throw the ball in in a way where you can keep the ball and maybe score a goal, especially if it's in the opposition half. And some players can't even take throw-ins properly. You saw Mendy was two yards on the pitch when he took a throw-in last week. I think so Mendy was was Mendy was Mendy tweeting while he was taking that throw. That I don't know what, what he was doing. I don't know what I don't know what he was doing, but he could probably benefit from a throw-in coach if that's anything to go by. I just think it's a really smart move, and it's another example of. Klopp just being really smart and really humble at the same time by knowing that he doesn't know everything and just surrounding himself with loads of really, really good people. This guy is quite a character by by all accounts. I think he was an, an athlete of some description. He could throw the ball like really far. I think he's the, he's the world record holder for the throw-in, which is like 55. Who did he play for, Dave? He played early in his career for... I don't know, some Danish team, but he worked at, uh, he worked at, uh, FC Midland. I think that we've probably all heard of and coached those guys how to throw the ball and, and, and make, make it the equivalent, if not better than a corner, especially, you know, in the last 10, 10, 15 yards of the pitch. He suggested that, you know, after a 45 minute session, there's some players that he can improve their technique that much that they can throw the ball up to 10 or 15 meters more. And, I think we've, we've seen an example already of that with, with Gomez launching the ball into the six-yard box, albeit that probably should have... Maybe been, not the best time to do it. No, it maybe, 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 not wasn't, the best. It maybe wasn't the smartest thing to do at the time, but, you know, maybe he's just, you know, he, he's got a new trick and he's just really keen to show it off. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, it's just a really intelligent move. And the guy was talking about, you know, different different trajectories you can put in the ball for different different types of movements, et cetera, and choreographing attacking situations in the box. And I think at one point you have to put your hands up and accept there's some things that Manchester City are just going to be better than us at. That's just, that's just a fact of life, what, really. Like, like avoiding their players going to the, the international break, that kind of thing, Dave, yeah? Do you know what, Dave? It's a, it's, it, it's a good example, and it's another good example of, of, of every club just trying to find every marginal gain that they possibly can. Good example of being smart. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> um, apparently this guy, um, in, increased 
Uh, FC Midland's goal scoring record by 20 goals in a season just from throw-ins. So, you know, I think rather than people sit back and, and mock a throw-in coach, maybe they should watch like Iceland or Stoke, you know, circa Tony Pulis era and realize that it can actually be a real weapon and accept the fact that the game's maybe moved on and people are looking at it in much more detail now. And accept yeah. the fact that you can always improve. Always you know improve. what, Davidson? It, it, it's interesting that you're saying that about the game moving on because people always talk about Stoke and you know those type of throw-ins as caveman stuff. You know where they used to say, "Oh, it's a throw-in; it's as good as a corner when you're playing Stoke or whatever." But I don't even think that's what Klopp's thinking with this, isn't it? Not I think Klopp's even thinking this is an opportunity. You might get a throw deep in your own half or maybe on the halfway line. And it's been able to maybe, if you've your players coached and been able to do these longer throws, you can suddenly get an advantage uh, yeah, really, exactly. really quickly on a football pitch. You're getting quick and off the cuff. Especially because you, you can't be offside from a throw-in. And with, with some of the players that we have. Exactly. You know, the, it, that's the added advantage. Exactly. Yeah, so so it's interesting. I mean, both of you make great points. But the, the one about not just being, being long throws is... Is, is, yeah, very, very pertinent. Uh, it's not necessarily only going to be long throws, but yeah, it makes absolute sense to gain an advantage where you can. And, and, and on that note, uh, I believe, uh, Dave Karen, you've got something to say about, um, taking advantage where you can. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's, there's no way a slight against Pep Guardiola because I think the guy's, I think he's a genius, but, but. in being a genius, um, <laughs> He's he's worked a flanker this 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 international break without a doubt. He's managed to keep all his Brazilians, uh, all of his French players. Uh, Sterling's been withdrawn. Aguero's not going. Otamendi's not going. And I'm I'm taking this just from like the Brazilian national team point of view. It's our players. It's Liverpool players that are going to be stepping in to replace what he's not taking. And that, in my view, gives a very very unfair advantage. You, you know, coming off the back of a World Cup. The amount of games that these guys have been playing um, throughout the year. And, you know, while Bobby Firmino, who should have been playing for Brazil in the World Cup, but didn't bother, uh, Cheech couldn't be arsed to bring him on and make the change. He stuck with Gabriel Jesus. And the first international break since then, what does he do? He leaves them at home. And now Bobby has to has to make do with a sort of second fiddle Brazilian team. And that, Clever bastards, Steve, aren't they? No, Clever bastards. Don't get me wrong. I have... Absolutely no problem in, in, in his thought process. But how has that been allowed to happen? You know, we saw it with Ferguson. And Ferguson used to pull the odd player. I'm talking a list here of ten players from from the, the, the you know major nations. And as I say, I, I, I'm focusing on the Brazilian side because it is our players that are going to be the replacements. So, in other words, while, while Gabby Jesus is lying some of these balls on the beach, Bobby Firmino is running his off for Brazil. And you know he has and Dave and Dave, uh, I would you, you were you'd mentioned this earlier. So what exactly happened there? Have they just decided that they they're not going to select the city players? Is this it's just an agreement? Try, they're trying something. All oh, right. Um, you see, Cheech, the national team coach in Brazil, has a massive hard on for Pep Guardiola. You know, he's never done fucking talking about him. And Pep also has an ambition, an aspiration at some point to manage the national team down here. So there's that, there, there seems to be a very, very good connection that could be the Latin ties, you, you, you know, you know how it works. And like, Pep has obviously hoodwinked his way, you know, he's chanced his arm and got away with it. And what's more, he's got away with it with the Champs as well. And he's got away with it uh, in Argentina, with, with, with Aguero and Otamendi not going. And, you know, like, it, it, it's fair play to him, like, you know, it, it's bittersweet sort of thing. I, I, I appreciate the inventiveness of it, but when it's our players, when it's our season, it's our league, you know, this is the first time we've got to this position and it's going to be a massive challenge for us and we can challenge City, but with the likes of this, it, it just to me, it seems very, it, the, the playing field seems very imbalanced off the back of it. And I say, I'm loath to say anything negative about Pep Guardiola because I, I think he's fantastic, but, but surely guys, you can see where I'm coming from on this. Um, you know, this is something that we may not feel the the effect of immediately, but you, you know what I mean. These guys we're going straight into the Champions League basically whenever we come back in again. And City have all these players with two weeks rest, two weeks work at at at, at their training ground, while ours are jetting long distance flights. Like we're, we're going to America, we're going to Honduras. 
you, you know what I mean? They're, long distance journeys takes it out of players, 10 hour flights. And why said these guys are just sort of toasty there and great? Well, well I was just going to say, I know we play Spurs, and somebody had said that it's very likely that Allison and Firmino are only going to be back and maybe have 24 hours rest before Spurs. So he'll be fine maybe as a keeper, but, you know, Firmino may well not be able to start John, that the problem, game. The problem, so, yeah, is, I know the problem is that, that Brazil have, now have nobody except for Firmino. So Firmino's going to be playing maximum minutes in both games. Uh, Fabinho's been named as a fullback uh, because uh, Marcelo hasn't been selected either. Uh, so I don't have a problem with Fabinho getting game time. He, uh, probably, the guy probably needs it. And, you know, his first call-up for Brazil, congratulations to that guy. Uh, I wouldn't want to take that moment away from him. But as I say, look, it just seems that we're going to be the, the people who pay the most for, for Pep's ingenuity, let's call it. I think the other significant thing here is that Guardiola gets, you know, the guts of, the guts of two weeks working with those guys on the training pitch. Never mind the travel, etc. But, but that's, and you can guarantee those boys who are, who are back in Manchester as well, Dave will have a couple of days off, uh, here and there well, during the break. You know, they'll keep, yeah, they will. Without a doubt. So it's, it's well. so beneficial. Yeah, but I mean, it is, it is what it is, unfortunately. I mean, you can't do anything about it. It's been stitched up. Uh, sewn up, sorry, and, uh, it wouldn't, wouldn't be the first time that, uh, you know, we've, we've not benefited from, from international breaks while others have. Personally, I was, I've always thought and I still think we should be a little more savvy with how we, uh, allow our players to go away on international duty. Uh, I think there's far too much international football. Uh, I don't understand why there's an international break already. There's just been a World Cup, and someone will tell me that there needs to be international football already, and, and there, there should be some kind of qualification. But uh, but I don't agree. Chief, are you telling me that you're not enthralled by the UEFA Nations League? Or are you not oh, really chomping at the bit? It cannot wait for it. I mean, more pointless international football. I mean, at the end of the day, I, you know, I, I like the World Cup. I like the European Championships. I understand. You want to involve loads of countries, therefore you need loads of qualifying and whatever. But it's dull. And at the end of the day, it's clubs that pay footballers' wages and it's club football that, that really attracts proper football fans week in, week out. And, and that's the bread and butter. And we should be smarter. I know Klopp wants to allow players always to play for their international teams and for certain players it mean, means a lot but uh, you know at the same time it's a club that, that is the most important and it's a club that is paying the wages so well, we can't we can't do anything about it so we can sit and garn about it for the next 20 minutes but at the same time they may get an advantage out of it they probably will over the course of the season but hopefully it, it evens itself out somehow maybe you know gets six goals in these next two games and comes back he needs minutes in his legs anyway as we know so maybe it's a good thing. Otherwise, he would have been flying anyway and not playing, wouldn't he? So I guess we'll wrap it up there because we are, we are uh, at least uh, ostensibly a Liverpool pod and I guess we don't want to go too far into the, the Brazil national team and what's going on. Obviously, it affected us and, and we had our good rant there. Pep's done a good job at, uh, at getting his, pulling his players out on a sickie and getting some extra training time. But uh, all good, I guess, in Liverpool land. So... Uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. I think we've covered the Champions League draw. We have talked about Jordan Henderson's new contract and Alana's, uh, latest injury. And we've had a few words on the throwing coach as well as, uh, listening to Dave signed off about Pep Guardiola and the Brazil national team. So, um, so yeah, we've been, um, John Henderson, uh, Dave Dunnan and Dave Karen. I've been your host, Neil Patterson. I'm just going to go round the, the panel and ask them to, to drop out their Twitter handles for you. So, uh, start with you then, uh, Dave Karen. You can find me if you have brain damage at DaveRN66. There you go. Great. Nice one. And Johnny? Well, if you just want to have some nonsense, to liberal snowflake political stuff and Liverpool stuff, it's Tubin Lad is my handle, no spaces or anything. T o b a n l a d. God, I love those uh, those uh, liberal snowflakes. Like, I love them. <laughs> All right, you're one as well, Chief. You're one as absolutely. well. Absolutely, I'm going. I'm going. I'm left of liberal, but but absolutely, I'm I'm right on you. And uh, and Dave, Dave Dunnan, uh drop us your handle there. Yeah, I wouldn't even bother because I'm a really shit follow. So, yeah, I'll chat to you next week. 
So he's not going to do it. Follow uh, Dunning for his uh, Bob Dylan posts, if nothing else. Bob, yeah, Bob Dylan posts, absolutely. I don't post about football. I post about music and politics and occasionally Phil Neville saying something stupid, but that's really about it. I, nobody said you're going to get football chat. Like, just, just follow them. Just follow them. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, wrap it up. You can follow me if you like at, at Neil1980. I believe the handles will also be on the graphic when when this is tweeted out so um thanks very much for listening if you bothered we have been the walking reds and uh, yeah we'll, we'll speak to you on the other side For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger, Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. With 24-7 support and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. So I heard from my sister's friend's cousin that Kohl's has the lowest prices of the season and had to say for myself. For real, the deals are so good. I got my kids summer tees for $5.99, a cute swimsuit for myself for $17.99, and a shark vacuum for $199.99, which will be great after Sandy Beach Days. I got Kohl's cash too, and I got it all in less than an hour with free store pickup. So yeah, summer, I'm ready for you. Select styles ends May 23rd. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. Sports Social Podcast Network.